welcome Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters to Deeply Discussing Dexter. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we're discussing Season 6, Episode 9, Get Geller. On this episode, Get Geller is the most exciting episode alliteration since Finding Freebo. Freebo. Professor Atheist is too lot to quit. Deb receives eerily prescient therapy advice over and over, and Dexter finds a Geller sickle past its sell-by date. What did you guys think of this episode overall? I mean, this this definitely gives us some explanation of why everything has been so disjointed this season. Um, it's not a great episode, but it's better than the last few. As far as what I thought about this episode, put it this way, I watched it 23 hours ago, and I remember nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm kind of in Very the... Very unmemorable. Yeah, I'm in the Brook camp. I'm like, um, we. I watched something. Um, do we have to keep going? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I just, like, wanted to try so hard to believe in friendship, and it's just, it's breaking me. It's really breaking me every episode that I watch now. Are you just going to start watching MASH episodes instead and reviewing those for us? <laughs> I might. It sounds more entertaining. <laughs> just just randomly. Oh, I really liked when Alan Alda did this one thing. And I, I, Anything <laughs> but this would be fine. Anything but Dexter would be good at this point. Love conquers Alda. Uh, okay, so it starts with Dexter talking about how Travis is rejecting Geller, Travis's dark passenger. Dexter asks Travis about the next tableau, victim, or anything, but Travis is no help. The phrase, two lot, is printed on a painting. Travis doesn't recognize it. Geller finds a card with two lot on it. Did I say Geller? I meant Dexter finds a card with two lot on it. He takes Travis somewhere to rest up away from Geller. Travis tells Harry that helping Travis is what Brother Sam would want. Did you just do it again? You did. <laughs> you did. I thought you did. And, yeah. uh, you know, we got a, a Brother Sam mention in there. How uh, fantastic, right? You gotta make sure. Yeah, because, you know, we can't get enough okay. of that. It, it's like this show just can't let go of certain things. And, I mean, there's going to be more that we're going to talk about in this capacity. And I'm just... I'm over it. <laughs> I'm just so over it. <laughs> like, let it go, bro. Frozen. Let it go. <laughs> it's funny that you say frozen. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, uh, man. Uh, Dexter finds that two lot refers to the second law of thermodynamics, because of course it does. Uh, it's written on a parking receipt that leads Dexter to an upcoming speaker who is a proponent of atheism. Deb is in another therapy meeting complaining about Dexter. The therapist points out that Dexter is acting like Dexter. He want, her wanting him to be different is her deal. Deb tells the therapist about Lundy and Brian in short succession, and the therapist suggests that they meet more than once a week. She may have some other issues to talk about. I think that therapist has got the hots for Deb. The therapist is just like Scott Buck in drag. <laughs> He's just she's just like telling De Deb exactly what she needs to hear exactly when she needs to hear it. She's literally holding the script and just like, yes, uh Here's the next thing you need to know. Yeah. 
She might as well be like a psychic or something. I see a frozen man in your future. Um, but what would Brother Sam do? That's what I want to know. Uh, Dexter apologizes for not talking to Deb, but she says she gets it. You're a chair. As the therapist said, would you expect a chair to be something other than a chair? So she calls she calls Dexter a chair. Quinn isn't at the briefing. Masuka lets Dexter and Angel know about Quinn's drunken hijinks with Green Thong. Miami Metro is trying to track down Travis but can't find him. Lewis shows Deb that Geller updated his blog. They watch a support video made from a DDK follower. Lewis says he can track down where the blog post was made from its IP address. Nice to have a guy around who actually is competent, right? Like, yeah, someone who can do things for Miami Metro that are beyond Miami Metro capabilities. Yes. Also, and, and tracking down an IP address is is a real thing. Yeah, as opposed to some things that happen later <laughs> in this episode, which are not real things. Or they just make stuff up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Lewis has got to be, except, I mean, since Dokes, the most competent person to come through those doors, and it's been a well, while. Just, yeah, it just depends on the episode. Yeah. Like, Deb's a good detective once in a while, Quinn's a good detective once in a while, but then they just kind of revert back to the their natural state of being of just, like, being drunk and fighting with each other. Which is also funny because... Um, Lewis uh, has this fascination with Dexter and is like he's asking him how he figures it all out but like really he's almost just as competent and, and intelligent as, yeah. as Dexter but he's like fanboying out all the time and so then when it comes to Dexter he's like oh my gosh but he's almost just as smart like he's doing things that nobody else can do so he's almost like equal Dexter yes uh, but guys this is Miami Metro. They're all fucking rock stars. <laughs> like, Define rock star. <laughs> I don't know. Masuka said it. It's just <laughs> all rock stars. So good. Angel wakes up Quinn from a dead sleep on a pillow on his hard floor. Quinn's gun is missing. He left his phone in a stripper's car, and they track down the location. Father of the dead escort whose case LaGuardia pushed Deb to close shows up to tell Deb that he found out someone, not the paramedics, cracked her sternum doing CPR. Deb's noncommittal, but she says she'll run it upstairs and see what she can do. Cracked sternum. That's some pretty brutal CPR. Cracked sternum. Not a rib. Yeah. Sternum. The whole thing. In pieces, all of it. Shattered. Just shattered. It's like he was using a triangle or something to get her CPR and put all the pressure on her sternum. Just got a sledgehammer and just started hammering away. Don't you die on me! (laughs) It's intense. Intense. Uh, Lewis does some super fake typing and says he's trying to prove he's good enough to date Jamie. Masuka tells Lewis to follow his dick and leave it to Jamie to deal with Angel. (laughs) Dexter gets the atheism professor's schedule. He visits Travis and shows him the blog post. Travis says it's a message to Travis way back in. 
Dexter shows Travis a book by the two-lot atheism guy. Travis confirms that Geller hates him. He's an atheist. The, the natural enemy of Edward James almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a lot of natural enemies, though. Yeah. Edward James almost does. Dexter helps Harrison pass out cookies. That's a scene. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know that happened. Like, there's a judgmental guy on the on the at the daycare that Dexter like one ups and Harrison passes out cookies and looks really excited about it. Sounds like it's really relevant to the Man, story. It was, it was such a great scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. great lead in. I remember everything we've talked about so far, but not this scene. <laughs> Are we sure it actually happened? I'm sure it happened. Dale's hallucinating Kiki passing out. I'm not making up scenes in Dexter. (laughs) Just to see if any of us notice. I would make up much better ones. (laughs) I uh, really Uh, wish that you guys had, I mean, I know this is audio for the listeners, but I wish you had video Mm -hmm. right now because I ate a cookies and cream ice cream bar before this episode because I am well and truly cookied. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Good throwback. I did it. Good throwback. I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to hold on to it forever. (laughs) Back to when the show was not horrible. As terrible as that line was. Uh, it's all terrible. <laughs> it's all it's all bad. Nothing will ever be good again. <laughs> Ruined. It's like a silo with a dead guy at the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh Coin stops by the stripper's house and mistakes her daughter for the one he hooked up with. Mom is a whole other story. And I memorialized a screen capture of Angel meeting the mother for the first time. Uh, it turns out Quinn actually picked her up at the Waffle House across the street from the strip club. Quinn finds his gun and phone. Turns out they took pictures of whatever horrible things they did together. Mm. And on the way back, Angel, Smokey, and the bandit car breaks down. Quinn picks a fight with Angel and gets his ass kicked. A woman walking a baby in a stroller stops, stops them by threatening to call the police. You know, I feel like in his time on this show, this is like the third or fourth time that Quinn's got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. It's better every time. <laughs> How are you even here? You're the worst. <laughs> the worst. Just wants to feel something. Uh, the over the top professor atheist has a British accent. Yay. Dexter finds out that the professor has office hours later that night. Dexter will be there in case Geller shows up to get him. Dexter tries to warn Professor Atheist, but he tells him to leave him alone unless he has proof. Dexter looks at the layout and sees how to use Travis to cover one of the exits. Dexter starts setting up a kill room for Geller. Travis tells Dexter that Geller took him under his wing and convinced him that they had been chosen by God to bring about the end of the world. Travis sees Geller walk into Professor Atheist's office. Dexter sets Travis up to guard the stairs while he takes the elevator. The elevator immediately breaks down. Dexter pries the doors open, but he's completely trapped by the concrete between stops. Travis breaks open an elevator door with an axe and rescues Dexter. By the time they get to Professor Atheist's office, he's gone, but there's signs of a struggle and drops of blood on the floor. Dexter takes Travis back to the hotel. Dexter has Travis reach out to Geller on the blog again to try to meet up. 
I know I'm supposed to care, um, <laughs> or I'm supposed to feel something, tension maybe. I mean, you know, good television, these are those moments where you're like, oh, this is tension, this is this, is this dramatic buildup, but like, I just don't care. <laughs> and I just, I just want it to be over. <laughs> well, going yeah, over, going over this Terrible. again, like all of the air is let out of this, knowing by the fact that the the show is just toying with us now by yeah. pretending that Geller is still a threat. That's the only tension I had. That's the only thing that really kept me. I was like, oh, okay, well, well, Geller is like really, truly this major threat, uh, and he's led, like, he's leading Travis down this path. But then, yeah, once the air's let out, you're just like, well, fuck you. (laughs) Put the air back in the bag, okay? I want to get hit in the face again with that airbag. Yeah. It's like giving people balloons for their birthday. Here's a sack of my breath. (laughs) That's DNA. Uh, The next morning... Geller hasn't replied on the blog, and Deb calls. It's another DDK murder. Professor Atheist is lying on his back on the lecture stage. Dexter saw him on the day before. He's shirtless, and he has the Alpha Omega symbol carved into his belly. His right hand has been cut off, and he's been exsanguinated. Masuka peels back the carving. Professor Atheist is empty inside. Dexter looks up into the lights and sees that there are a bunch of bowl-slash-basket-type objects suspended out of sight. He tries to warn Masuka, but Masuka bends the remaining right arm and six bowls of blood spill, drenching Deb, Dexter, Masuka, and Quinn. I will say that I did enjoy that, and not because of the technicality, just because I was like, finally, they get some blood on them. <laughs> <laughs> they get covered in blood. All right, cool. Yeah, it was cool, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Travis wakes up in his hotel room. Bring the false prophet to the church is written in blood in his bathroom, and the severed hand is in the sink. Blood that they didn't even try to make look like real blood, by the way. Yeah. It's like red paint. And yes. And styled like a paintbrush. Like you could see like paintbrush yeah. marks. <laughs> like, <laughs> Somebody was very careful with that. It's almost like they were like they had someone from like a PA do it, and the PA's like, "I'm not putting my fingers in this. I'm getting a brush because you know." And they're like, "Whatever, we don't have time. We're moving on." <laughs> yeah. Uh, Deb tells the therapist that she's not sure she believes in God, but after the blood dumped on her head, he's she's pretty sure that God hates her. The therapist is still trying to unpack all of Deb's trauma. Deb drops another bombshell that Brian and Dexter are brothers. The therapist tries to carefully suggest that Deb is responsible for the partners that she chooses. She says Deb has a history of choosing inappropriate or unavailable men. She encourages Deb to learn to break these patterns and become whole again. And and again, like Deb like sort like goes through the motions of resisting or not agreeing with these suggestions and then just instantly takes it on board and improves her life. What what does she say? Is she, her and Dexter have a small conversation about this, and she's like, "You're you're a chair, and I need a table." Or was that earlier? That comes later. Oh, okay. Because he 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 brings it up again. He's like, "You called me a chair," and she says, "Yes, you're a chair." 
but what I need is a table. And then she keeps talking about whatever she was actually talking about. And I'm just like, this is the worst analogy. Yeah, yeah. thanks, thanks, Scott Buck, for your chair and table bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait till you find out where all of this is going. I don't... So, uh, <laughs> Um, oh, I can't wait for Zach to find out where this is going. Deb takes an elevator ride with LaGuerta. LaGuerta tells Deb that she can't afford to reopen the dead call girl case. Deb stands up to LaGuerta and says, if you have a problem with me investigating a homicide, which is my job, then fire me. Otherwise, I'm reopening the case. Later, we see LaGuerta get into a car with Matthews. Turns out he was the mystery CPR man. LaGuerta tells him not to worry. They'll find a way to stop it. Nobody cares. We see Travis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that should have been a big moment. We just don't care about like, anything anymore with this show. Oh my goodness, Matthews, more screen time. Well, like, yeah, way. <laughs> he was about the only person it could have been that they would keep it secret from us. Because if it, if it was Angel, the only other person that Laguerta would try to protect. Like, they would just show us Angel. And we know yeah. Masuka's not capable of that, and she wouldn't cover for him. So yeah. he's out of the picture. <laughs> Masuka does not have the upper body strength to crack a sternum. Uh. Clearly, Captain Matthews does. Yeah, but Masuka's got that, that monster truck. Mm. He might have tried <laughs> to use that to do CPR, so... Yep, I'll crack a sternum. Uh, we see Travis cleaning up the blood... That was painted on. Uh, he lies to Dexter about Geller leaving the hand and writing the message. He appears to have switched allegiances back to Geller. So something that happens in the show quite a bit is they clear off, they clean off a wall, and it doesn't change the paint texture at all. Right. And it never takes anything off. If he was really cleaning that, you like you would see exactly the letters that he just cleaned off. We don't have time for this, Aaron. Okay, we've got. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've got so I'm much sorry. to film today. All right. If it doesn't look right, we'll just we'll just hope that nobody sees it and calls it out on a podcast in the future. Okay, we've got to move on. <laughs> yeah, Tom or Colin Hanks is just wiping a wall, and that, those letters are all there in After Effects. Those are those letters were never on that wall. Um, Asuka shows Deb a report. Lewis tracked the IP address to a physical address, and I noted here that Masuka calls it an IPA instead of an IP address, which is not an acronym. <laughs> it's not used that way. IPA is India Pale Ale. They are doofuses. Uh, the interview or they interview a guy at a park slash rest stop who provides unsecured Wi-Fi. Lewis says the guy could drive up and post without leaving his car. He also says that if there's an antenna nearby, it could boost the signal by a couple of miles. Nope. Even if that were technically accurate, the FCC would shut that shit right down. And also, blast Wi-Fi I wouldn't miles. have known that. Oh, uh, yeah, that I maybe didn't know. I maybe didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, to be fair, I would not have known, but that I probably would know. So as they walk away from the guy telling them about, or from Lewis telling them about the uh, the miracle of mile radius Wi-Fi, the camera stops and shows us the abandoned church at the other end of the field. 
So again, it's, it's not it's it, not a mile away. It's like line of sight. Yeah, it's right there. And so now we're slowly deflating that balloon, like one image after another. This whole episode to me is just it's really a whoopee cushion, but it's not funny. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's just the air without any laughs at all. Exactly. It's like the, it's like I'm, you asked for a whoopee cushion and they put Whoopi Goldberg there instead. <laughs> and so now you're just sitting on an elderly black woman. <laughs> Get off me. <laughs> oh, that seems like a little bit of an upgrade though. It kind of went the wrong direction I mean, there. Be that super would be way cooler. Awkward. It'd be really sad. Uh, Very sad. Uh, Lewis takes Jamie to his apartment. He has something of a toy and comic museum set up around the Jetsons' furniture. Jamie says she understands weird. She collected black rubber bracelets from the 80s. Um, I don't think there's any sort of a apples-to-apples comparison there with what he's got going on in his apartment. But he's got, like, the 40-year-old virgin apartment, in my opinion, but okay. Uh, Lewis says he was trying to respect Angel's wishes. Jamie appreciates his honesty with her vagina. <laughs> in a cutaway from their sexual encounter, it turns out that one of the pieces in Lewis's collection is the ice truck killer painted mannequin hand. Because of course, you can't let so, anything go. So what do we? What do we? Is is Lewis a bad guy now? Is is Lewis trying to become the next? Bay Harbor Butcher? Man, I Is he just trying to get in Jamie's pants? Who knows? I hope he's more than just a video game developer, because that would be a really flat story. I feel like they... Yeah, they're they're alluding to something, and not that I'm... Well, no, I'm upset about it, but... Why is Aaron (laughs) laughing? I just... I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I... Yeah. He went through his happy place thinking about Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, Jamie is amazing. I really uh, don't remember what happened. Oh, they, so. they bone, and they bone good. Well, I knew that. I meant, <laughs> like, just where that. the story goes. <laughs> I remember that part. <laughs> there's, like, some, there's some like softcore boning, and then all of a sudden you see the fucking hand, and you're like, ah, oh, <laughs> goddammit. You just made, reminded me of what that was all about. Yeah. You go straight from side boob to severed hand. Um, Travis shows Dexter all the exits to the abandoned church. He gives Travis a plan for getting Geller's attention. Dexter will flank him and take him out. Geller is inside reading the Bible. Geller says Travis needs to repent or he will burn for all eternity. Geller offers Travis one more chance and opens his arms. With tears in his eyes, Travis walks towards Geller's embrace. Dexter tells Harry that it's after this, it's up to Travis what he does with the rest of his life. Dexter thinks that by killing Travis's dark passenger, he can gain more control over his own. Dexter wants to be a better father. And then Dexter enters the main chapel with the M99, but Travis is knocked out on the floor. Dexter finds a hidden panel under a heavy altar. It reveals a descending staircase under the chapel. In the basement room, there is a heavy-duty freezer. Geller's body is inside, frozen solid. Dexter's thoughts reveal he's been dead all along. We cut to Travis, who opens his eyes and gets up and picks up the ancient sword. Dexter thinks, did Travis work alone? Did Travis kill all those people? And the episode ends. Okay. 
So I'm going to go That's part of the episode. It ended. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> so who knocked out Travis? Are, are we to insinuate that his acceptance of him being Geller left him unconscious on the floor? Because he he very clearly, like, comes to and, like, grabs his head. I, I feel like he faked it until... He was going to fake it until Dexter said something to him or, or came to him, but then Dexter found the trap door. Yeah, but... But there, there is no right answer. Like, who the fuck knows what? But Colin Hanks acting didn't suggest that. Right. Which brings me to my next point. <laughs> is I, that Colin Hanks is terrible. I read an interview uh, with Scott Buck. Oh, hang on. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Before right. you get to that, um, I want to talk about the state of Geller's body. So, uh, Geller has been dead for three years. And he's in this, this like frozen, whatever this this uh, freezer. He should be covered in like a sheet of ice at this point. Like you shouldn't be able to recognize who the body is in there, just from like moisture and and like evaporation and re refreezing and condensation. But it looks like he just got in there yesterday. Yeah. Yep. And, and stayed there until he was dead. Yeah, again, same production assistant was like, I'm yeah. not painting this guy up with ice. I just don't have time for this today. We we, we have Edward James almost for another 25 minutes. How frozen can we make him look? <laughs> yeah, they just went like a little glaze. Like, you know, when you've got the popsicle and you let it sit for like five minutes outside of the freezer and start to thaw, he's like that level of frozen. Yeah. yeah. Just the little ice crystals here and there. Like, unless Travis had like a bunch of frozen peas on top of him that he ate last night and took off, there's no way he would be that uncovered and, and easy to access. And we all know Travis is a big pea fan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Here's another thing I'm like, why did he show Dexter all of the exits and like he's like playing along? Like I hate I, like if it's a good twist and a good reveal, then you're like, oh shit, and then it makes you go back and really question a lot of things. This was one of those things where I was like, again with Aaron, like who knocked him out with the with the shovel, right? Or like who makes him do these things? Like he does. Right. So you know the camera plays tricks on us or whatever, but then. It's like, why is he playing along with Dexter in the first place when he knows what he knows? Like, I, I, was Dexter supposed to find the trapdoor? Probably not. And then he has to improvise, which we all know he's terrible at. So <laughs> what, are, what are we doing here, guys? So that leads us into what Aaron was about to talk about, which to, to bring you up to speed, Zach, last week when we were, when we were recording um, and you had some internet difficulties... The three of us had this conversation about um, how Colin Hanks' acting doesn't make any sense from here on out um, because he's supposed to be both uh, Travis and Geller, but they they don't convey that very well. And one of the theories that was thrown out there was that they just didn't tell anyone. Like, they kept it a secret from everyone until this reveal happens in the show and I'll let Aaron tell you what he found out about that. Mm. According to Scott Buck, only Dexter, Michael C. Hall, Michael C. Hall Edward James Olmos, 
and Scott Buck knew but that he, Geller was dead. Really? Why the hell yes. would he have killed him after the, the book? It's no. Not- no, no, Zach. They didn't tell the writers or the, or directors. the directors. What? They were they. Scott Buck had talked to Edward James almost and told him that when nobody was paying attention, like the scene where they go to the restaurant and the waitress doesn't pay attention to him, he was the one that told that extra not to look at him or acknowledge him in any way. He did not the not the director. Um, Nobody knew but those three people. So Edward James almost was like ghost directing every scene that he was in. Oh my god! Which uh, explains why why the directors had Colin Hanks do some of the things that makes the fact that him and Geller are the same person just make no sense whatsoever. Not to mention yeah. the writers. Yeah. Right, and I wonder if he even told the writer of this episode because he doesn't mention that in the in the interview. But did she know writing this episode, or did he write the ending? I would imagine that she knew. I mean, but then again, I would have imagined that they had told Colin Hanks from the beginning what was going to happen because he had to prepare for for their performance but then that goes to show like that what I what I assumed was just an absolutely like terrible choices by Colin Hanks are him just being completely bombarded with information and not knowing what the hell to do with his character at this point yeah which kind of is what where my point where idea. it was like intentional but not really unintentional like he's intentionally playing it bad but that's just because he doesn't know what the hell to play. So it's like, right. hey, I'll just do this, and hopefully it, it, it goes well, and it doesn't. Well, and I, I think he's playing it as, like, he, he's playing his character as the the foil of the team. Like, there's Edward James Olmos, who's supposed to be, like, the all-knowing, all-powerful part of the, of the duo. And then... Travis is supposed to be kind of weaker, but you know he's also a younger man and and has some strength and stuff like that, and is kind of fighting against it. So I think he just made Trav he just made it so that Travis seemed um, like a beta. mentally yeah beta exactly like mentally weak enough that Edward James almost could easily tell him what to do, like have power over him. Yeah. Instead of. You know, you're both of these characters, so you should vacillate between them. Or the the best part of all this is when we discussed that last week, we came to the conclusion that that would be stupid. Yes, we did. <laughs> and here and we, we were are. right. There was we said there was no way they would do something that dumb. They what, they did. Yeah. What little did we know? What year was this? Released, do you know? This season. 14? 14? Okay. I want to say. 2014? No, this show, was, this show was over before I moved up here, and I moved up here in 2013, so this would have been 2011. I mean, 11 is what I was thinking. Okay, yeah. so I when I met Colin Hanks, it would have been, it was probably 2013, 
and I wish I had watched this and had these discussions so that when I gave when he actually he gave me a hug when he left I could have been like hey man it's it's gonna be okay you'll get past Dexter <laughs> you'll have a great career and we all believe in you you yeah. know because if I'd have known what I know now then when I met him it would have been a totally different thing i wish i would have known because i would have been did like did he Dude. work on a project you were on or did you just run into him no he was at the kansas city improv festival we brought him in for oh. uh super ego and i was his chauffeur so I, I was with him all weekend and i but i had not That's seen hilarious. dexter and we hung out a lot of the weekend and then when he left he gave me a hug and said thanks for ha- taking care of me and everything and i was like Man, if I'd have known, we could have had some great conversations. You know, we did talk about how much he hated the, the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> that's awesome. He was it's, he was ripping it up because that's when it came out. Was when when I when I uh, saw him when I met him. Uh, we may need to talk offline and figure out like who at KCIC has the the Colin Hanks hookup because we might need to have him guest appear on a deeply yeah. discussing Dexter so we can. Yeah post-mortem this season with him that would be the, so the, awesome the funny part of all this is in that story uh zach wasn't real <laughs> was just driving himself the entire time. i made it up i made the whole thing up <laughs> zach's been colin hanks all this time oh my god how many how many movie reviews did i do in my car with colin hanks <laughs> oh man uh, my acting was got so much better <laughs> <laughs> Well, this episode was directed by Seth Mann. Was it, though? Seth Mann. Uh, he previously he directed there. Five Deep Breaths, and on Dexter, he directed just this one single episode. Uh, he went on to work with uh, directing on The Wire, Grey's Anatomy, and Fringe. This episode was written by Karen Campbell, who was previously a producer and writer on Injustice, which I have never heard of before. And then on Dexter, this is her first written episode. She wrote or co-wrote one episode for each of seasons seven and eight as well as writing the story for one season five episode and serving as a staff writer for season six, a story editor for season seven, and executive story editor for season eight as more and more rats abandon the ship. Uh, After Dexter, she worked as a producer and writer on Outlander, Unforgettable and Covert Affairs, which Covert Affairs I think I watched for a season and a half before that became forgettable. Uh, what was the best line of the episode? I actually gave this one to Masuka. Uh, when it comes to matters of the heart, always follow your dick. Aww. <laughs> I know, right? Nice one. That's, that's the sweet Masuka line. Wow. Uh, I'm going with that Deb's uh, tour de force against uh, La Guerta with the, if you have a problem with me investigating a homicide, which is my job, then fire me. Otherwise, yeah, I'm reopening the case. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, since I barely even remembered what I watched, I went <laughs> with when Dex goes to, um, oh, I don't remember who he's talking to, Batista, and says, did your sister ever call you a chair? <laughs> that is awesome. I didn't care about the whole chair thing, but I like that he said, did your sister ever call you a chair? Angel's like, no. Mm. (laughs) He got really serious about it, too. She does some weird things sometimes, but she never called me a chair, man. Uh, How about the worst line of the episode? 
at the end when Dexter says, or thinks to himself, did Travis kill all those people? Who else was it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> at this point. At this point, he is literally all that is left. Was was it Brother <laughs> Sam all this time? That, Could it have the been the thing? dog? <laughs> uh, it, it kills me so much about this season. It's just like, mm. why is Dexter all of a sudden stupid? <laughs> uh, because the writers. Um, and no one's I... telling the writers what the characters of the show oh, right. were. Yeah. Well, so I know who we blame, Scott Buck. Uh, I went with the entire final exchange with Geller and Travis. I don't even remember what they were saying, but it was all the Jesus-y stuff, and they're just talking over each other, and it's so slow, and it's just so bad. Yeah. Just, uh, it's just bad. They just say Jesus to one another and hug. Yeah. Hey, Travis. Jesus, bro. Jesus? <laughs> like the buddy Christ. Um, I'm going to go with the opposite of uh, uh, Brooke with the worst line and say that uh, Dex's I'm here if you need a chair line. It's just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's just trying to be a good friend and brother. We have broken Zach. He's, he's over it. Zach was so optimistic. He was so optimistic. And Joe's in Nebraska. <laughs> it all fell apart. Don't and it's going to get Nebraska, so much worse. I do love Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska is the is is right up there with the best of like the show just going completely off the rails. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like it would have been great episode had it not gone in the middle of this season. Like they purposely put it there to break people. We were already I mean, broken. Like Aaron said at the time. People loved it. Yeah, they did. I loved it. I remember watching it and being like, "Wow, that was actually a pretty good episode." Like after after season five and half of season six, it was like great to see Dexter out like kicking ass again, randomly yeah. shooting off into the off the shooting road, road signs. <laughs> oh, it was still terrible. Banging the cashier girl because he misunderstood himself. <laughs> when he said, let's do her. That's when he should go, did I bang that cashier girl? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, would, that would have fit. That would have fit the scene perfectly. <laughs> did I kill that pot farmer? Or was it Travis? Zipping <laughs> <laughs> Travis the whole time. This whole show is going on in Travis's mind. Uh, how about the performance of the episode? I didn't even pick one because I forgot that part. I was so glad it was over. Edward James almost? Yeah, I'm going with almost. Yeah, whatever. Almost in the freezer? Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll go with that. He looks cold. This is pretty much all we had this episode. Yep. We'll just leave it there. Thanks, guys, for uh, enduring this with me, and thanks to everyone who's listened this far. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Dexter.